0: And so, Father, I pray that as we get into our study tonight, that you would bless, that you would um, just be with us as we study your word. And Lord, I just pray that you would just encourage us in every way, uh, as these are hard words, but Lord, also, it's a word of comfort that is given to us and reassurance that you are going to work in our lives and see us through, and that you are going to prevail through us and in us, Lord. And it's in Jesus' name that I pray. Amen. Hey, one real quick thing, too, that I forgot, but this is important. We haven't had communion for a while. So not this Sunday, this is the last Sunday of April, but a week from Sunday, uh, I'm going to lead you in communion. So you might think about getting communion elements, you know, if you go by the store, and uh, we'll talk more about it on Sunday, but I'm going to lead you in communion, and you can lead your family in communion. But chapter 15 of, of Jeremiah, as we go into this chapter, remember, it's been a few weeks since we've been in the book of Jeremiah, but in chapter 14, there was this drought, Uh, that Jeremiah is given a message, a severe drought that was on the land. And you recall that it was the Lord that he said uh, in the Mosaic Covenant that if you follow after me, I will send the rains. If you obey my word and and worship me, it will be well. I'll send the rains. You'll have the crops. uh, I'll defeat the enemies around you. uh, I'll protect you. It'll be well with you and your family. But if you forsake me, then certain things would happen. And of course, as you read the book of Deuteronomy, there was the blessings and the cursings. And part of the cursings of them forsaking the Lord and going after those idols, those Canaanite gods. And that's what was happening at this time um, in their history as Jeremiah is on the scene. And the Lord would say that drought will come and locust infestations and, and different things. The land's gonna dry up and eventually you're gonna be defeated by your enemy and you're gonna to go off into captivity. So this drought has taken place and the Lord has brought this drought to try to get the people to turn to him. But they're refusing to do this. And keep in mind that this is a time when God's people had turned away from him, and not only had they turned away, but they were committing every kind of of sin and and evil deeds in the land, um, that they were even doing worse than the Gentile nations that worshiped those false gods. They were sacrificing their children on the arms of Moloch, we have read so far here in the book of Jeremiah. They were... Uh, covetous they were greedy they were not helping people out the the leaders of the land uh, the religious leaders uh, were given a false message the false prophets were on the scene saying nothing's going to happen to us and it's going to be peace and we have the temple and and everything's going to be well and jeremiah the true prophet of god is coming on the scene and saying listen there's going to be death and devastation and destruction, and you're going to go off into captivity because you have forsaken the Lord. So all this has taken place a very heavy time, and it was not only just a drought Physically in the land where the land was dry but spiritually there was drought spiritually it was difficult there was a dryness and the people had a form of religiousness they just went to the temple and brought all their idols there they would sacrifice they would have feasts but it was all in a false way. So all these things that we've talked about and so Jeremiah here continuing to go to God's people and we read that the Lord said to me in chapter 15 verse one, even if Moses and Samuel stood by me, my mind would not be favorable towards this people, cast them out of my sight and let them go forth. Now it seems like harsh words as we see that the sins of the people were so great That God said no matter who was interceding, judgment was going to come to them. In other words, they're going to go off into captivity. And he said something interesting, the Lord, to Jeremiah. He said even if Moses interceded, even if Samuel, two people, their history that they would be very familiar with, that, that perhaps you're familiar with Moses and with Samuel as well. You remember that when the children of Israel came out of Egypt and they came to the mountain of God, And Moses went up on the mountain of God to receive the law of God. And he's up there, and and the people became impatient. They said, where's Moses? Where's the man of God that brought us out of Egypt? So they fashioned a golden calf. They they made this golden calf. They committed idolatry. They started to commit every kind of uh, immorality and fornication as they danced around that golden calf. And as Moses is up on the mountain, the Lord says, Moses, you need to get down because the people have sinned a great sin. So Moses goes down from the mountain. He deals with Aaron and the people. He goes back up on the mountain, as you read in the book of Exodus, chapter 32. And you see that Moses is interceding on behalf of the people. And it was God that had told Moses the day before, Moses, stand back, because I'm going to consume this people. And Moses, interceding at that time, he said, Lord, don't consume them. Don't wipe them out. Remember, you made a covenant with Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. Remember, you promised them that you would bring them into the promised land and make them a nation. What would the other nation say if you uh, consumed your people? So Moses interceded at that time. The next day, he's up on the mountain, and he's saying, Lord, forgive them their sin. Moses didn't make any excuses for their sin, but he said, forgive them, and if not, blot my name out of the book of life. And as I read that, every single time I read that, that Moses prayed that, it really showed me that Moses had a love and and a heart for the people, people who were rotten to him, a nation, three, three and a half million people that would constantly murmur and complain and come against them. And there's Moses. He didn't say, okay, Lord, wipe them out. That would be great. It'd be a lot easier for me. And Father Moses sounds really good. We'll just start all over again. But he interceded, and the Lord relented. And, of course, uh, they would end up spending 40 years out in the wilderness because of their unbelief and because of their disobedience. But Moses, interceding at that time, just as Samuel, Samuel was the last of the judges. When you go through that book, the book of Judges, you see that the people of God, during that time, right after Joshua, the generation after Joshua, Who brought the children of Israel into the promised land um, that they began to turn and worship those Canaanite gods. They would find themselves under the bondage of some foreign, you know, king, a Canaanite king. The Moabites, the Canaanites, the other ites that were in the land would hold them in bondage, and they would cry out to the Lord, and the Lord would raise up a judge, a leader, To to deliver them. But they went through this cycle for 400 years. Samuel's the last of the judges. And in 1 Samuel chapter 7 and chapter 12, he's calling the people to put away their idols. And they would end up doing that. And it ended the days of the judges. And Samuel would say in chapter 12 of 1 Samuel, Uh, far be it from me that I should sin against the Lord in ceasing to pray for you. We have seen that Jeremiah has been told, don't pray for this people. And as we see the Lord telling Jeremiah that, I believe what the Lord is saying is, Jeremiah, don't be praying that don't go into captivity because they are going to go into captivity. They have sinned so much. That that's the only way that this nation is going to be saved is that takes place and go into captivity and then eventually, as the Lord we're going to see at the end of the chapter, he doesn't leave them without any hope. He's going to bring them back and establish them once again. But they have gone too far. The judgment is coming. And they refuse to turn to me, and they're going to go off into captivity. Let's continue to read. And it shall be, if they say to you, where should we go, then you shall tell them, thus says the Lord, such are uh, as are for death to death, and such are for the sword to the sword, and such as are for the famine to the famine, and such as for the captivity to the captivity. And I will appoint over them four forms of destruction, says the Lord, the sword to slay, the dogs to drag, the birds of the heaven, and the beasts of the earth to devour and destroy. And I will hand them over to trouble to all the kingdoms of the earth because of Manasseh, the son of Hezekiah, king of Judah, for what he did in Jerusalem. Very interesting as we read these verses. Four judgments that are coming. Some are going to die by disease, some by war, the sword, some by starvation, and others, the fourth thing is we see, and beasts of the earth to devour and to destroy. It is interesting that there are those who are saying during this pandemic right now, that we are, have entered into Revelation chapter 6. I've gotten a few questions on it on the radio. I, I, I've seen it. Uh, people asking um, in emails or making references on social media. Uh, are we in Revelation chapter 6? And as we went through the book of Revelation last year, we were in that text, and we know very well that Revelation chapter 6 is the beginning of that period that's called... The the tribulation period. And so, those of us who've gone through the book of Revelation, we know that we are not in the tribulation period. So, as people are wondering, is this the book of Revelation? Is this the four seals, particularly what they are saying that it's the beginning of the opening of the fourth seal? And I'll read it to you from Revelation chapter six. So I looked in a a pale horse and the name of him who sat on it was death and Hades followed with him and the power was given to him, the power given them over a quarter of the earth to kill with the sword, with hunger, with death and with the best beasts of the earth. Does it sound familiar? That's exactly what Jeremiah was saying, with the sword, with hunger, with death, beasts of the earth. What has been interesting, perhaps you have seen this in some news, um, and it's interesting that since, you know, a lot of the nation is uh, locked down, stay at home, or the whole world, this has affected the whole world, that more and more wild beasts are coming into the cities because uh, the streets are more empty. There's not as many people. Matter of fact, we've seen uh, pictures of mountain lions coming into Estes Park. Right there, you know, a picture of a mountain lion right uh, in front of the emergency room uh, of the little clinic in the hospital there in Estes Park. It, it's, it's fascinating to see. And Estes Park has always had bears come in and elk, but more elk are coming in, wandering the streets. Uh, we're seeing that. And even in different parts of the world where there's been more animals, wild animals coming into the cities, Because the people are inside, and and it's interesting, even little comics of, of, you know, the the wild animals that are, you know, looking at the people inside their houses, kind of like things have flipped and and we're the ones that are behind the cage and behind the, the glass and all of this. But we've seen that happen. And we do know that in the tribulation period, that the fourth seal, when it opens up, that there's going to be death by these things. We are not in the tribulation period because the first seal is what? The rider on the white horse coming and riding uh, on a white horse, the Antichrist. It's the Antichrist that comes on the scene that begins that final seven year period right prior to the second coming of Jesus Christ. So you can tell people, listen, we're not in Revelation chapter 6. The Antichrist hasn't come on the scene. Um, But this is something that was going to happen in Jeremiah's day. It is something that's going to happen in the tribulation period that wild beasts are going to come in. And and, a quarter of the earth, by the time the fourth seal is opened up, a quarter of the earth is gone. Listen, that's a lot of people. In a world of over seven and a half billion people, a quarter of that is all of North America, Central America, South America, and Western Europe. So we're talking about the the birth pangs of of the sword and wars and rumors of wars and famine and pestilence and wild beasts and all of that that's going to come and culminate in the tribulation period as we see it take place. And so we've talked about all those things. But here he mentions that that there's gonna be destruction, and there's gonna be trouble uh, to you because of Manasseh, the son of Hezekiah. We know that Hezekiah was a very godly king as we read about him in uh, Second Kings, Second Chronicles. Uh, he was one that led a revival in the land, a very strong king. Uh, but we also read in Isaiah chapter 38 that Hezekiah, he was sick and he was gonna die. And it was Hezekiah that began to cry out to the Lord. And the Lord came back and said, Okay, Hezekiah, uh, I'm going to extend your life by 12 years. And as his life was extended, a couple things happened. Number one is that some invoice came from a faraway country to congratulate Hezekiah on being well. And what Hezekiah did is that he showed those envoys uh, all the riches of of the kingdom and the treasuries of the kingdom, of the temple. And Isaiah comes to Hezekiah and says, Hezekiah, who were those guys? Well, they're just envoys from a small uh, empire that's beginning to grow uh, called Babylon. Babylon. They came to congratulate me and bring me gifts. And Isaiah said, what did you show them, Hezekiah? I showed them everything. And what those guys were doing is they were writing everything down. They were kind of like spies, if you would. And they would go back and make a record that there's some treasuries. There's a lot of things there in the treasuries of Judah in that, that temple that they have built. And so Isaiah says the day is going to come where the choice men of, of Judah are going to be taken off into captivity. Not in your day, Hezekiah. But the second thing that happened in those 12 years is Hezekiah had a son named Manasseh. Manasseh would come to the throne after Hezekiah, and he was the longest reigning king in Judah, and he was the most evil king in Judah. And he plunged the nation deep into idol worship and occultic kinds of practices. Again, burning uh, their sons uh, on the arms of Moloch in the Valley of Gehenna. Every kind of occultic kind of practice. uh, Immorality going on. And because the sins were so great, the Lord came along and said, that you are going to go off into captivity. Now, it's interesting, as you read 2 Chronicles, the account of of Manasseh's ministry reigning for 55 years, that he would be taken captive. He uh, would end up actually repenting, and he would come to know the Lord at the end of his life, which actually speaks of the grace and the mercy of God. But what happened was the nation never recovered from that. And the nation was plunged deep into idol worship. And because of the sins of Manasseh, because they were plunged deep into idol worship, you're going to go off into captivity. In verse 5, as we continue, For who will have pity on you, O Jerusalem? Or who will bemoan you? Or who will turn aside to ask how you are doing? You have forsaken me, says the Lord. And you have gone backwards. Therefore, I will stretch out my hand against you and destroy you. I am weary of relenting. And so uh, the Lord, he's long-suffering. He's patient. But to relent would have meant that they would be encouraged to continue in their sin and backslide even further. And verse 7, And I will widow them with a widowing fan in the gates of the land. And I will bereave them "...of children I will destroy my people, since they do not return from their ways. Their widows will be increased to me more than the sand of the seas. I will bring against them, against the mother of the young men, a plunderer at noonday. I will cause anguish and terror to fall on them suddenly." Verse 9, "...she languishes languishes who has borne seven. She has breathed her last." Her son has gone down while it was yet day. She has been ashamed and confounded. And the remnant of them I will deliver to the sword before their enemy, says the Lord. So it's not a pretty picture here at all. And and we are going to see that Jeremiah's response is going to be, he's struggling with this. He's kind of... Uh, struggling and wrestling with all this, even as we can wrestle with what we're seeing today with this pandemic and the effects of it. And, and, and we think, why Lord, why did you let this happen? Why now? And, and these things happening to me, but as we wrestle with it, one of the things that he says, I will widow them in verse seven with the widowing fan in the gates of the land. Now that might ring a bell with you because if you're with us on Sunday in the baptism of Jesus, remember, he comes to the Jordan. And, and there is uh, John the Baptist as he is ministering, baptizing people. It was a baptism of repentance. And all of a sudden, the religious leaders come down. People were coming from all over Israel, all over Jerusalem. All of Jerusalem came out to the desert to see him. Uh, all of Judea, even the people from the cities of the Decapolis, they came out to see this man of the desert. And as he is telling them to repent, um, and uh, he says that there's one that is coming, uh, that he is going to baptize you with, uh, with water, and uh, I baptize you into water, is what he said. But he who is coming after me, speaking of Jesus, is mightier than I, whose sandals I am not worthy to carry, he will baptize you with the Holy Spirit and with fire." His winnowing fan is in his hand, and he will thoroughly clean out his threshing floor and gather his wheat into the barns, but he will burn up the chaff with unquenchable fire. So he was rebuking the religious leaders, the Pharisees, the Sadducees, the the religious leaders of the land come strutting down to the Jordan to check out this man, John the Baptist, and John the Baptist looks at them and says, you brood of vipers, you know, who warned you to flee from the wrath to come? And he would say that, that there is going to be the Messiah that is coming, that is going to baptize you with the Holy Spirit and with fire. And you see, for, for me, as, as the Holy Spirit uh, is empowering us to continue day after day to live for him, and it is by the power of the Holy Spirit, as Lord, fill me Baptize me, Lord, I need you every single day. But with fire as well. The purging work of the Holy Spirit in our life, purging those things that are unlike him, you know, out of our hearts. And that's my prayer for me because I can find myself complaining and murmuring. I can find myself, you know, with bad attitudes and things like that. And I want the Lord to purge those things out of my heart. The, the purging fire, the Holy Spirit working. Uh, as we know that the things that are of God that are likened to gold and silver and precious metal, Lord, may those things shine forth more in my heart. And the things that are unlike you, the wood, hay, and stubble, let it burn up. And he has a winnowing fan, and he's separating the wheat from the chaff. And I want you to separate the chaff out of my life, Lord. I want to produce fruit for you in my life, even during this time, Lord, that you would do that work. So here, the Jeremiah, he's got a, a, a widowing fan. He, he is going to be separating, and, and there is going to be uh, difficulty that comes. And Jeremiah, again, he's wrestling with all of this as we read in verse 10, Woe is me, my mother, that you have borne me, a man of strife and a man of contention to the whole earth. I have neither lent for interest, nor have men lent to me for interest. Every one of them curses me. So Jeremiah was hated for speaking God's word. Uh, I I haven't ripped anybody off. I'm speaking your word. And as we speak the word of God, there can be those who definitely will come against us and, and will not like us and come down on us. But the Lord answers Jeremiah. He says that surely it will be well with your remnant. Surely I will cause the enemy to intercede with you in a time of adversity, and in a time of affliction. Can anyone break iron in the northern iron of the bronze? Your wealth and your treasures I will give as plunder without price because all of your sins throughout your territories in verse 14 and i will make you cross over with your enemies into a land which you do not know for a fire is kindled in my anger which shall burn upon you so babylon's going to come as you know god said i'm going to protect you jeremiah And um, I'm going to work through you, Jeremiah. He's going to give Jeremiah some assurances here as we continue reading. Babylon's going to come and take their possessions away. In verse 15, O oh Lord, you know, remember me and visit me and take vengeance for me on my persecutors and your enduring patience. Do not take me away. Know that for your sake I have suffered rebuke. So Jeremiah here is just saying, Lord, I've gone through a difficult time and, and Lord, this has been hard, hard and take vengeance for me on my persecutors. He, he's just in the honesty of his heart pouring himself out to the Lord, because they have persecuted me, and we're going to see the persecution of Jeremiah even more as we go through. But in verse 16, for your words were found, and I ate them, and your word was to me the joy and rejoicing of my heart, for I am called by your name. I have that verse underlined. For your words were found, and I ate them. I per Took of them, and your word, Lord, was a rejoicing to me, was my joy. And that's why I'm encouraging you for all of us to continue in the word of God. You remember that Paul the Apostle, as we talked about endurance in 2 Timothy, you must endure hardship as a good soldier of Jesus Christ. And Timothy, he goes on and he talks about endurance um, in that, that epistle. I believe he uses that word five times in, in four chapters. And he says that that you've seen me, me endure the persecution that I have gone through in 2 Timothy chapter 3, because Timothy, in the last days it will be perilous times and evil men and imposters will grow worse and worse but you must endure affliction the very last uh, exhortation that Paul gives to Timothy before Paul is put to death that you endure affliction Timothy and do the work of the ministry and right now you and I are in that place where we're going to have to endure affliction Because we've been afflicted, every single one of us, to one degree or another. And some of you in very great ways. And he says, endure infliction to do the work of the ministry. And Timothy, in these days that we are in, you must continue in the scriptures that you've known from childhood. And the scriptures that you and I know, we must continue in them because that's what's going to bring us comfort and that's what's going to bring us hope and that's what's going to cause us to rejoice as we read the promises of the Word of God and the assurances of the Word of God. And that's what is going to bring us comfort for us to be established in this Word. Don't pull back from the Lord. Let's continue to press towards the Lord. And I know that as I read this, that I ate these words. It reminds me of, again, the book of Revelation. And you might recall in our study of Revelation in chapter 10, that John was told to eat the word of God, this scroll. And I'll read it to you in Revelation chapter 10. So John says, I went to the angel and said to him, give me the little book. And he said to me, take and eat it, and it will make your stomach bitter, but it will be as sweet as honey in your mouth. Then I took the little book out of the angel's hand and ate it, and it was as sweet as honey in my mouth, but when I ate it, my stomach became bitter. So John takes this scroll, the Word of God, and he eats it, and it's sweet in his mouth but bitter in his stomach. And as we take in the Word of God, as we feast on the Word of God, It is sweet, the promises of God, but it can be bitter as well. It's kind of like a Chinese dinner. I love Chinese food. Sweet and sour pork, you know. But the promises of God, the comfort of the Lord, that is sweet. The promise that we have of, a, of eternal home that is awaiting for us. The promise that he's going to come and take us home to be with him. Remember that we talked about just two Wednesdays ago, reading from John 14, that he said, don't be troubled in your heart. You believe in God, believe also in me. And in my father's house are many mansions. If it were not true, I would have told you. And I go and prepare a place for you. And I will come receive you to myself that where I am there, you will be also. That brings comfort to me. And you know the way because I am the way, the truth, and the life, Jesus says. That is sweet. You know, it causes me to rejoice. Uh, The promise of a glorious future that is ahead for us. The promise of his presence and his strength for you and for me to establish us. That he will provide for our needs. That he is our place of stability and our refuge. And he is the one that as we wait on him, that he desires to draw close to to us as we draw close to him. And so those promises are sweet, but there's also a bitterness at times as we read these judgments, right? We read these words. And we know that as we get to go home and be with the Lord, that there's going to be a time of of tribulation, of judgment that will come upon the earth as you read about it in the book of Revelation. That's difficult. To, To know that God's word is true, that those who do not come to faith in Jesus Christ, that there is eternal separation and damnation that awaits them because they've rejected the gospel. And we get concerned for our families, our friends, our neighbors, our coworkers that don't know the Lord. So those kinds of things are kind of bitter as we read the word of God. But we can be rejoicing because we are called by his name. O Lord of hosts. And then in verse 17, I did not sit in the assembly of the mockers, nor did I rejoice. I sat alone because of your hand, for you have filled me with indignation. That reminded me of Psalm chapter 1. And many of you, you know that psalm. That blesses the man who walks not in the counsel of the ungodly, nor stands in the path of sinners, nor sits in the seat of the scornful, but his delight is in the law of the Lord, or that is the word of the Lord. And in his law, he meditates day and night. He shall be like a tree planted by the rivers of water that brings forth its fruit in season, whose leaf shall not be withered, and whatever he does shall prosper. So to remind us once again, that as we delight in the law of the Lord, as we meditate on the law of the Lord, or it's another phrase for the word of God, that as we do that, we are going to be established. We are going to be planted we're going to be established and we're going to bring forth fruit in our lives and we're going to be refreshed like a, a leaf, a leaf that, that springs forth. We're in that season where we're beginning to see the trees bud out and we will be budding, we'll be producing fruit, the fruit of the Lord uh, and we will be, you know, refreshed in the Lord and we all need that. And the key for us To have that is that you meditate on the word of God day and night, that I am to do that as well. And, And as you are taking in the word of God, that you will see that you will be one that is established. And we don't sit in the assembly of the mockers. But verse 18, why is my pain perpetual and my wound incurable, which refuses to be healed? Will you surely be to me like an unreliable stream as waters that fail? So again, Jeremiah is just kind of struggling in this. And and he says, Lord, are you going to be like an unreliable stream? Listen. And you might be thinking the same thing. You might be thinking, Lord, I can relate to Jeremiah here. Lord, are you going to be waters that fail? Because I need the living waters. I need to be refreshed by you. Lord, I need healing in my heart because I have anxiety. I have fears. I have anger. There's so much doubt that is there. I need to be healed. I need to be comforted. I need to be refreshed. And listen, the Lord loves you. And he's going to reassure Jeremiah. And I pray that this is a blessing to you who are feeling that. Because we can come to the Lord in the honesty of our hearts and we can say those things. Lord, help me. Don't be an unreliable stream. I need the living waters. I need you. I need to be healed in my heart. Lord, the pain is perpetual. The anxiety, the difficulty. But the Lord said to Jeremiah in verse 19, if you return, then I will bring you back You shall stand before me if you take out the precious from the vial. You shall be as my mouth. Let them return to you, but you must not return to them. In other words, Jeremiah, uh, as the Lord is speaking, turn to me, don't go back to to them. But when they come to you, you speak of the word of God to them. And, And you will see, as we continue in verse 20, I will make you to this people a fortified bronze wall and they will fight against you but they will not prevail against you for I am with you to save you and deliver you says the Lord and I will deliver you from the hand of the wicked and I will redeem you from the grip of the terrible. I believe that's a promise for all of us here tonight. All this COVID-19 and the circumstances and everything that comes with it it fights against us doesn't it? But the Lord says that it will not prevail. The Lord's going to prevail. And he's going to fortify us. And I'm with you to save you and deliver you, says the Lord. And I pray that every single one of us, that we would say, that's a word for me. That Lord, that you're going to deliver me, you're going to save me, you're going to strengthen me. Because you have redeemed me through the blood of Jesus Christ. And you're the one that said, come to me if you thirst. Because as you come and drink of him of the living waters, out of your innermost will flow torrents of living water. And the Lord desires to do that work. He's not an unreliable stream. He's not a broken down wall, but he's going to fortify you and deliver you and help you. And he's going to work in your life. So, Father, I thank you. I thank you for this word given to us. And even in the midst of difficult words that we read here, in the difficult time that we find ourselves in. But, Lord, you see us and we are called by your name. And Lord, we can rejoice in that. And you have a wonderful plan for us. And you're not going to leave us to be devoured by the enemy, by the world, by our circumstances. But your promises are true for us. And I want to pray for everyone who who feels like Jeremiah, the pain, the, the wondering, the dryness spiritually, the anxiety, the fears that can come, that they would take the promises here and to know that the world and the enemy and this, this pandemic is not going to prevail. But you are with us to save us and deliver us. That is a promise that you gave to Jeremiah. And it's a promise that we read. It's recorded in your word. So we can say, yes, Lord, that you will deliver us. And you will save us. We've already been saved by the blood of Jesus Christ. And so I thank you that we can rejoice in that and continue to be established in your word. And Father, I want to pray for anyone who may be listening that you've never made a commitment to Christ or you're not right with God. Get right with him. Jesus Christ came to this world and he died on a cross for your sins. He took the judgment for you so you don't have to go through the judgment of being separated by God and cast into eternal separation and into, uh, into the lake of fire that is real. But Jesus took the wrath for you so you can be with the Father and have a relationship with the Father and be forgiven and have the hope of heaven. And on the cross he cried out as he died for your sins, it is finished. And he rose again and he conquered sin and death. So I pray that if, if you're not right with God, if you've never come to faith, It's coming in faith and trusting in Jesus. It's not trying to be good or religious or you can't save yourself. No one else can save you. A church can't save you. It is coming to Jesus directly and calling out to him. Turning to him. Repenting. That's what the word repent means. And giving your life to him and calling out to him. Ask him to be your Lord and Savior and for forgiveness. Because you know you need to be forgiven. And you can do that right now. You can pray, Jesus, I come and I ask that you forgive me of my sins. I believe you died on the cross for me, and it is finished. You made atonement for my sins. You did the work. You rose from the grave. You validated what you did, and I ask that you be my personal Lord and Savior. That I thank you for this new beginning. I thank you for for your love for me and your death on the cross for me. So now I have a living hope because of your resurrection. And I want to know you and walk with you all the days of my life. Lord, refresh me and renew me. I thank you that for this new beginning. And Lord, I thank you for hearing my prayer in Jesus' name. And listen, if you prayed that prayer, get a hold of us here at the church. Leave a message. Email us. We want to follow up with you. But for all of you that are listening right now, God bless you. Hang on to the Lord. We look forward to continuing to just be able to reach out to you and minister to you. Looking forward to Sunday, 930, our live stream, as we're going to look at the temptation of Jesus. Very important word for us. And uh, we're going to keep in touch with you in every way that we can. God bless you. Have a great evening. Thanks for joining us.